I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. So it's been a while, huh? Happy Friday. I apologize. Monday, it was just wild. We couldn't get together to record. Wednesday, we did record on the Tuesday evening, but unless you wanted to listen to an English SpongeBob, you weren't going to enjoy that episode. So that went in there. That went in the dumpster fire. I apologize there. It's Friday. Everything looks like the setup's good. Will's smiling. I'm smiling. We've had time to decompress after an awful game. If you're watching on YouTube, yes, I am wearing a robe. It's a Jedi robe. I had a self-care <laughs> evening. Please don't judge. We all need them sometimes. Will, I'm joined by, sorry, I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir, my homie, my compadre, my co-host on a Friday episode and now on a Tuesday, Wednesday episode too. How are you doing today, brother? Hey, what up, Adam? I think, uh, you know, after that, after that Wizards game, we all need a little self-care. You know what I mean? Bro, I needed lots of self. I'm just like, yo, <laughs> this robe is so comfortable as well. I don't wear it often, but man, I'm just like, I yeah. feel like I'm in a cloud. You know, man, I, I've never been a robe guy, but I feel like that's one of the things I love. Like, uh, you ever go on like vacation at like a hotel or whatever, oh, and, they, sure. and they have the robe? Like, I never buy a robe. I've never bought a robe. I've never had a robe that I like wear around my house. But when I go to that hotel and I see a robe, it's almost like the first thing I want to do is like, never mind wherever else, wherever city I'm in. It's like, I got to wear this. Like, if I'm in my hotel room, it's robe time. Yo, bro, PJ's on, robe on. You just feel so much. It's, it's just a different vibe, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm so chilled when I'm not, like, when you're in your jeans or you're in some pants and, like, a, and a hoodie, you, you feel very much like I'm ready to brave the outdoors. And when you're in PJs and <laughs> a robe, you're like, man, I'm so chilly. I had a hot chocolate. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm all sorts of just relaxed right now. So if we want to talk about this game, I'm in the right mind frame to do it without being too emotional on the negativity i'm going to be negative this game warrants negativity and for anyone that listens to the show i am forever the optimist but today that is different so real quick i feel like we need to do a disclaimer before we get into because it's i mean we we just have to address some of the things that are that are happening and, and they're inherently negative at times it, it's just it is what it is it happens but I do think there's a little bit of patience that will eventually come along with it as you're doing right now with your self-care day. And so, you know what I was thinking about before as we were like chatting about coming on here and like, hey, man, we kind of just got to take this head on and talk about some of the stuff that we don't like. Because there's there's some stuff that both of us don't like that are going on right now with this team. Is I was thinking, have you ever watched Bad Boys 2, the movie? I have watched Bad Boys 2, the movie. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. We're, so maybe you'll you'll remember this part. So in it, the Martin Lawrence character, he uh, he's going to therapy, and so they have a, a technique that they use to try and help them with their breathing to calm down and relax. I feel like collectively as Celtics Nation, while acknowledging that we have issues, we all need to take a little woosa. And I saw you point to the ear for those listening on YouTube. I know you know what I'm saying. So a little woosa. I need it, man. Like uh, hit the. I'm getting it. I'm getting a bit of heat because I put out a tweet earlier today saying that uh, this was probably the worst game I've seen from the Celtics in a long time. Now, some people have pointed to the Raptors game. Other people are like, hey, there was re- loads of bad games last year. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. This was." Not-. I'm like, yo, in the Raptors game, at least it looked like some people were trying. During last season, like, you know, there was COVID. It was, a, it was an injured team. They were hobbled. I could, I could stay optimistic through mm-hmm. that. You know, Scotty Barnes was phenomenal during that Raptors game. There was there was factors where I could accept it. This game against the Wizards, you lose, and Bradley Bill does not go off. I mean, you asked me at the beginning, like, 
bro, I, I'm sorry, but there is no world where the Celtics, who everybody like coming into the season, how high were we on the depth of that rotation to begin with? Yeah, I mean, we were massively huge on it, but I'm, I'm gonna say this for now: you got to use it, though. Yeah, for, that's another point, right? <laughs> like you, you're running a shortened rotation. I get that. Okay, cool. You've you've got trust in X amount of players that you feel are up to the task of running the system you want, and you stick to that rotation. Cool. But at the same time, from the others, from like from a different point of view, if things aren't working in the first and second, you've called guys out for being flat with their energy during a pregame shoot around. Mm-hmm. You've got an instant energy in Aaron Neesmith. You've got instant energy in Peyton Pritchard, both young guys. I'm sorry, but Richardson isn't at the level where I think he should be getting minutes over Neesmith. Um, Marcus Smart's offensive games to begin the year have been terrible. Okay, he's bringing it on D. And, you know, he had a sick game. He played sick in um, against Charlotte. He was saying he had mm-hmm. some symptoms. But why isn't Pritchard getting time? And then in my, I mean, I've got a lot to say. So we're just going to start. <laughs> we're going to start here. If they're going to lose, I'm completely fine with it when there's young guys on the floor. If they're going to run a team full of veterans and lose to a lose to a Wizards team whose superstar scorer doesn't even score much, like I, I well, and you're telling me this wasn't a bad game effort wise. I'm sorry, I can't abide it. So do you want to hear a pretty insane stat that I heard earlier today, Adam, about that game? So we're, we're talking about Bradley Beal and, you know, how how much of an off night he had. And, you know, I, before we started recording, I told you, like, hey, if someone told you last night before the game started, final score was going to be Wizards 116, Celtics 107. What's the number one thing you thought of happens? Like, man, Bradley Beal must have been 30 to 40 in the game and, like, just been, you know, a guy that we couldn't stop. Couldn't have been more the opposite. So I heard this stat this morning. Uh, so Bradley Beal went 7 for 25 from the field, scored 17 points. One of the worst games, and I just think he just couldn't get it going. I mean, we saw Jason Tatum go seven for thirty a few nights ago. We know what that looks like as fans when you have a superstar player that's just that just can't get it, or a star player. Let's let's, let's not call everybody a superstar star player. You know, they just can't get it going. It happens. If you take away Bradley Beal, the rest of the Washington Wizards last night shot sixty one percent from the field, sixty one percent against a team that is trying to be defensive focused and minded. That's pretty crazy, man. That's a really, really high percentage. It's ridiculous. And one of the things that I noticed was they didn't switch as much as what they have been. Like there was more of a focus on like uh, man-to-man defense. I think Udoka was a little bit worried about Bradley Beal. He wanted to make sure that there was a body on him, and you know you couldn't, you couldn't kind of circumvent that switching scheme to get Beal open. Now, look. This game from Beal wasn't the only game he struggled. Beal struggled uh, to start the season. He's not playing. Yeah. Bradley Beal basketball at all at the moment. So coming in and scheming for him not to get hot is fine. But playing the law of averages that he's struggling, we can just keep a body on him. And, you know, if he goes off, we'll contain him and we'll adjust. That's fine too. I'm just, just to me, it was like the defense was just allowing so much. Like it was, it just looked really easy in terms of perimeter scoring. Now, when people were driving to the lane, I felt the Celtics done quite a good job of pinching him from the wings and kind of meeting guys at the free throw line around the elbow area and starting mm-hmm. like really making those drives tough. But if you got past that kind of first line of defense, then there was no, I mean, Udoka mentioned this as well. There was no weak side rotations. The help defense was almost non-existent. And part of me feels like it's an arrogance. I don't even think it's a lack of effort. Sometimes I'm like, this team just feels arrogant. 
like they they don't like we can turn it on when we need to and we can outscore you and win a game so we can take a few possessions off here and there not realizing that hey you guys aren't that good because if you were that good why like do you, do you get what i'm coming from like you you wouldn't need to take possession good teams don't take possessions off mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the toughest parts of of the defense that ema's putting in is it probably requires max effort max communication max focus to make sure that you know and like you said they switched a little bit less but but overall if, if you're still thinking of that scheme like in that general concept of of being a big part of the defense you you don't focus you fall asleep for just a moment, and all of a sudden, you've got, you know, Bradley Beal getting a shot at the rim. You've got Kyle Kuzma getting easy looks. You've got Denny Avda and, um, you know, Davis Bertans that all of a sudden are popping out, and they're wide open because of that split-second communication. So it's, you know, the, the part that I'm trying to struggle because, like I said, patience. It's early in the season. Still trying to see, you know, who this team is, where this team's going to land, what Ime's style is. It's a little bit frustrating right now because it feels like we're falling into, you know, after a full training camp and preseason of optimism, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, all this depth, we have, you know, growth in all these players. We've seen steps taken by a bunch of guys in, in uh, summer league, training camp, preseason, and now it feels like we're kind of falling into some of the malaise of different issues that we had last year, which last year you even highlighted we could kind of like wrap our heads around, ah, okay, COVID, you know, ah, okay, it's a weird season. Okay, this person's out. Kemba's not, you know, he's not playing back-to-backs. Last night was a full roster. Last night, I mean, say for Romeo, you know, it, it's a full roster. It's a healthy roster that with their depth, Romeo being out shouldn't be an issue against a Wizards team that actually was banged up. They didn't have Rui Hachimura. They still don't have Thomas Bryant. And their center, Daniel Gafford, left halfway through the second quarter and didn't come back. So it's really hard to explain some of the things that went down in this game. I think the other part for me as well is like, um, I'm not ever going to be upset if you lose while developing the young talent, right? I think like when you're talking about some of the teams, some of the games last year, one thing that was always a saving grace was Peyton Pritchard got valuable minutes. Aaron Neesmith was showing signs of development. There's always something you can cling to, right? Like you're coming up against the Wizards team that large portion of their like starting rotation Hachimura is a big against Boston last year Thomas Bryant is somebody that the the Wizards hang their hat on in terms of development and showing how they kind of operate as a developmental team and then you look at Gafford who's been phenomenal since going to Washington and then he falls down and doesn't come back you're looking at the Celtics whose two big man lineup was probably the, the two bigs were probably the only positive in this entire evening like i think al horford and rob williams played both very well um al horford for me was the best pl best player on the floor for stretches definitely the best celtic for stretches. easily the best celtic in the game easily. yeah and there was definitely signs of a partnership for forming between rob and al the passing between those two the little two-man game you got going from the five and the four is an encouraging sign moving forward but then i'm like if that had happened and you'd lost but we saw 14 points from Pritchard or 14 points from Neesmith, we'd be having a much different conversation because they're last, but look at these signs we're getting. We're getting growth as a two-man game from the bigs. They got some development time for Neesmith and Pritchard. And, you know, okay, Jalen had a bad night. Tatum was off. But mm -hmm. there would have been things to cling to. There's not much I can look at here and be like, this went well. Yeah. let's Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Pritchard and Neesmith for a little bit because I think this is my biggest confusion 
um, why these guys are not seeing more time. And specifically for me, Peyton Pritchard. And I agree that Aaron Nisbet needs to see more time. I can see where there's a world in which, you know, I, like in the couple games that he played, you could tell that there was something in his head where he was a little tentative. And I don't know if it's just because he knew he was going to be having more of a reduced role than maybe he thought. And so you could see that there was, you know, but that, and that's maybe a little bit player, a little bit coach, and they got to figure that out. Let's put Aaron Neesmith to the side just for one minute. Peyton Pritchard is a fully formed and ready NBA player that on every single team should be able to get minutes. The What he brings to an NBA game with his spacing, his ball handling, I get he's undersized. He works his butt off on that end of the floor. He's frisky. He has great defensive positioning. Like, he's small. I get it. It's not ideal for the scheme that you want to run. But every single time, every single time they've put Peyton Pritchard into a game, our offense, even if he's not the one shooting, he's one of the few guys in this team that has true gravity, true spacing, creates opportunities for others. And so when we look at Jason Tatum, we look at Jalen Brown having, you know, off nights, and especially Jason Tatum, when you look at his shot chart, he he brought the ball into the lane a lot last night. His All of his shots were either three-pointers or they were at the rim, and he didn't get a couple foul calls. But you know what's a lot harder is trying to make those shots when everybody's in the lane because they don't care about Josh Richardson shooting. They don't care about... Dennis Schroeder even though he made four threes they don't care about him shooting they don't care about you know Rob Williams isn't going to space it or they're, they're not caring about Jabari Parker who made a three like Peyton Pritchard actually brings people away from the paint even when he's not shooting how this man doesn't get a single minute of play in a game where your offense is struggling so mightily and to me it feels very obvious in the little chances that he's been given this season that when he's on there the offense just flows better i'm going to use Eme's word that he used for jalen brown it's mind-boggling mind-boggling i've got some things to say about Eme Udoka too but we'll get to that we'll, we'll like, get to that let's stay here with with, with peyton and these I, I think agree. for me this because is you, this is hard to grasp we're talking about floor spacing and gravity and the two guys that give you that like neesmith and pritchard don't get a lick and it just doesn't make sense to me in terms of richardson has been poor every game he's played so far i think his off-ball movement has been okay there's been a few times where his shot looked okay you know i i never feel confident when i think pulling up from okay is generous but all right <laughs> yeah okay you know, i don't feel confident pulling up from free when he's pulling up from free i just think there's like you, how can i put it i feel like they're they're hammering on these like square pegs like square pegs for round holes. I feel like Richardson yes. is definitely a square peg, but what they're doing is putting him in a position to try and build that value because they want to flip him. You know what I mean? They extended him. Now they have to wait. And then when they flip him, they, you know, it's not an expiring contract so they can get something a little bit more tangible back. But my argument is every game that Pritchard doesn't play, every game that Neesmith doesn't play is another game of development that they haven't got. And when we're talking about floor spacing and needing to create driving lanes, like Tatum played perfect Mori ball at the rim or from three. That's yeah. what teams have been pushing for years lately. It's the analytical movement. You either get the ball to the rim or you pull up from three. No mid-range shots. You finally get Tatum to do what everybody's been screaming for him to do. And you don't put the, the assets around him, the pieces around him to make his life easier. Yeah. The floor opens up so much if you run a unit of Pritchard and Neesmith. And let's be honest, did we ever see... Did we ever envision a, a second unit that didn't involve one of those two guys for floor space? No, 
no, we, we were making arguments for Aaron Neesmith to be in the starting lineup. You know, you and Greg were, were pushing for that from the very beginning. And for me, that's the ultimate vision of a, of, a, of a perfect starting lineup with the roster we have right now. It involves Aaron Neesmith being in it and him getting back-to-back DNPs and then adding in Peyton Pritchard, which I I really, that's that's the one for me that I really can't say. Cause I, I can't really envision too many teams that couldn't go, hey, you know what we could use? A guy that could be a threat from 30 plus feet and shoots 40 over 40% from three and can, you know, and can create secondary shots for himself and for others. That's a guy that we don't need to play tonight. I can't imagine many teams saying that. And yet somehow in a game where we were struggling the entire night, that never came up to put him into the game. Like I just I I can't I can't get by that I just, it's it's really tough for me. Yeah, like what we really need three point shooting. We've got two very good three point shooters on the bench, but we're not going to play them. What we're going to do instead is give you more Josh Richardson. What we're going to do instead is going to hope Grant Williams continues to shoot lights out from free. We're just going to run big after big after big, like we're still in the early nineties, and we're just going to expect it to work. And it just felt to me like um like a reluctance to. Like from the coaching staff, there was a reluctance to adjust. Like what they'd put yeah. on the floor yes. wasn't working. And I just felt like watching it and seeing Udoka kind of roam the sidelines, like we people would have been on Brad about this. Obviously, people had seen Brad's rotations. We, and it could just be that Udoka is very similar to Brad in that he likes to experiment early in the year. And we're just we're not used to the Udoka's coaching, so we're reading more into it than what we mm-hmm. should be. But there is the other split, the other side of things where Udoka was just very very reluctant to adjust and very kind of hard-headed in what he wants the team to do and he want he he believes that this is the way they can the only way they can succeed now i I don't mind the double big lineup but if you're not putting on a couple of guys because maybe pritchard's too small for what you want him to do or maybe neesmith isn't perfect at the switching scheme yet Mm -hmm. well you're not scoring anyway so what could your defense if you're not (laughs) scoring dude and that's the thing is like you know we didn't get destroyed by it last night but when that offense isn't clicking that typically sets up mismatches already in your transition defense because we're taking you know longer shots with low percentages and the team's getting out in transition and so our bad offense is actually leading to harder ways that we can set up our defense to actually put them in a position to be successful so even though you're trying to focus on setting that defensive lineup and you're your, your your negative offensive lineup is negatively now impacting your defensive lineup, which is the whole point of the re- of the lineup that you have out there. And so it's it's, it's I'm I'm confusing myself because it's so reverse logic, but you know what I'm getting at, Adam. Do you right? know what the best form of transition defense is? Tell me, Makey shots. Yes, the best form, seriously, the best form of transition defense is not to miss. Now, obviously, it, that's not possible, and it's not likely. But being very What's the word? I keep losing my words. It's late here today. Being very, um, very judicious with your shot selection and being very callous with the way you finish around the room, like really going Ooh, up strong. Look at that vocab. I think that that in itself is solid transition defense because if you if you're putting pressure on the rim and you're scoring, by the time they've inbounded the ball, you've already got back. You've set up, and then again. Do you know what else would help transition defense? Do you know what I go fantastically for transition defense? People Which that guy? are fast. People that are fast. Now you have a guy on the bench whose nickname is Fast PP. That's not because right. he's slow. We're not being funny. <laughs> you know, what I mean, this isn't the tortoise and the hare. Like there were certain things around it that really, really frustrated me. And I, I'm okay with 
running a shortened rotation, I'm okay with testing out different lineups, different rotations, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. But if you want to then go into the press conference and be like, this this was a bad defeat. We didn't play up to our level. We didn't do X, X, Y, and Z didn't go for us. Well, dude, two of your best floor spaces are on the bench. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you need to admit that, hey, I should have done this too, instead of calling people. And this is where I'm going to get onto Adoka. Instead of calling people out in the media, now I put, uh, there's two ways I look at this. These players all ask for a coach that would hold them accountable, right? Yep. They wanted accountability. That word was thrown around a bunch during the coaching search. Brad Stevens said it, Jason, Jalen, Marcus, the word accountability was the buzzword for about two weeks. Now, there's two types of accountability in my mind. I can I can hold you accountable. You could say something on this podcast or I say something to you that you don't agree with. Now, you can hold me accountable when we get off the podcast and be like, hey, man, I didn't really like the way you said this towards me or the tone of voice. And you're holding me accountable, but we're doing it between us, right? No hard feelings. Or you can do it on air. Like if we're, say we're live streaming. Now I'm going to feel a bit more type of way because you've done it in front of an audience. Do you know what I mean? Or you're going to feel a type of way like, hey, man, you should just wait mm-hmm. until we're done. So to call Jalen Brown out after five games, five games, and be like, you know, he's a, uh, his application, his mind frame going up, going down, is mind-boggling to me. Like, I get it. Like, you're holding him accountable, but does it's risky, risky business going to the, talking to the media about players this early in the season. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because like he he was asked. In fairness to Ime, he was asked the question, and I can't remember who it was that asked it, but they kind of pointed out the pattern that which it's even hard to call it a pattern because Jalen's Brown is he didn't even play in one of the games. He's only played in four games, and so the the very small sample size of a pattern is Jalen Brown plays great in overtime, comes back the next game, doesn't play so well, plays great in a game that goes to overtime comes back, doesn't play so well. And so it was, is it the knee? Is it COVID? You know, his focus seems seems to shift or what it is. So somewhat to a degree, Ime was answering the question, which I think put him in, in a bad position. But coming all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, when I used the word mind-boggling, that was his own choice to use that word as far as, you know, how Jalen Brown's focus and why it's it's different. And I thought that really stood out to me. I don't the way he was answering the question up to that point, I don't really have a problem with it. And even the mind boggling, I don't have necessarily have a problem with. To your point, it, it raises my eyebrows. I was watching the post-game presser last night, and I was like, ooh, that's a that's interesting for a coach five games in to talk about his second best player or his star player like that. It's a, it's a really interesting way. And so I don't know... what the best way to do it is. I really don't. Um, the thing is, it's not just five games into the season. It's five games into your career as a head coach. Like, yeah. dude, like, get comfortable first, man. Don't come in here and start knocking stuff over on your foot. You're still in your first <laughs> week on the job, bro. Like, I'm like, man, could you imagine getting a management position in a job, coming in and then just literally pointing at one of the office staff that's a bit lazy and being like, yo, you lazy dude. You're mind-bogglingly lazy in front of everybody. You'd be in HR so quickly, bro. Like the the expectations on people because they play 
a professional sport for a living and the, the money that they everyone's like oh well they're paid millions they should be they should be tough enough to take it these yeah. are still humans man if Jalen brown reacts badly to this that could really derail the season from the get-go and that's obviously a hyperbole statement from me and not one that i truly believe in but it's also very feasible it's very possible that that could happen yeah i mean here's a weird thing man i i feel like heading into uh into the saturday game saturday rematch against the wizards it oddly feels like a big game for both the players and the coaching staff in the sense of this needs to be a response game. Like it, like it's only the, you know, sixth game of the year. So in the grand scheme of things, is it going to be that big of a deal? The answer is likely no, but in the moment right now, it feels like a somewhat big game in how, you know, how the players that were kind of called out for their focus afterwards, how they respond. We're talking about the, the downfalls of, Ime's coaching last night and lack of rotations, lack of playing time. How does he adjust? So I feel like in a weird way, Saturday is kind of a big game for this team early in the season. Don't you think that's a problem though? Because it's two games where we've said that now. We said it after the Raptors lost, there needs to be a bounce back game. Now we're saying it after the Wizards lost, there need dude, we're gonna be on six games in, and two of them have been bounce back games. And, and I'll tell you what, this is this is where probably, and as I'm even saying this, maybe even I need to, to take some of my own advice here with the patience and the woosah. Let me ask you this right now. You you may know this answer, but I think either way, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So as of today, which is where we're recording this on October 28th, how many NBA teams are over 500, little, little about a week plus into the season? How many NBA teams right now, Adam Taylor, are over 500? Try not to cheat. Let's see what you get. I'd say 10. 12. So either way, e- either way, you were very close. But the point being, more than half of the league right now. It's been a weird start to the season with a lot of these records. I guarantee you more than 12 teams are going to end up with a winning record before we end the season here. So, you know, with that being said, calling it a big game, it's an issue. But also, it's it's maybe a little bit of patience that I need to exercise as well. Yeah, and I get that like, slow starts are a thing. You know what I mean? So, like the Lakers gave up a lead to the Thunder. You oh, know yeah, I mean? that was interesting. Like, that was enjoyable to see, like. But at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> Russell Westbrook getting kicked out of the game he, again. He, he was seething, dude. Seething. He was not but, happy with Darius Baisley. Oh man! But at the same time, like you know, the Bucks lost to the Timberwolves, but I think the Timberwolves have been very good to start the year. So it is what it is. The Bulls having an undefeated record, but they've only played middling teams. You know what I mean? Like, All middling. without major contributors. Yeah. So like. When you look at it, you're like, okay, I get it. Still very early. Very hard to take context mm-hmm. from what we've seen so far. What you can take context from is when you're do, talking about a team that, you know, I talk, I cover this team for Celtics blog, obviously. I talk about this team all the time. I'm literally 10 to 12 hours of my day is doing stuff to do with the Celtics. I kind of feel like, and I'd, obviously I don't know as much about basketball as Udoka or the coaching staff. I'd never claim to. They have an analytics department that every last, last member of that department knows more than me. However, when you're not playing floor spaces, when you're not adjusting when things are going bad, then I, I'm I'm a little bit perplexed. So we want to use mind-boggling. I'm going to use perplexed. <laughs> I'm just like, yo, why aren't the adjustments happening? Marcus Smart has been god-awful on offense to begin the season. All five games, he hasn't looked good. He took a few more shots than he has done recently yesterday. They all look bad. And where do you go from there then? Because Marcus Smart wants to be a starter. He feels like he's a starter. He said that before. Like That's his words. Like, I'm a starter on this team. 
No, dude, you're not. Unfortunately, you are not because Dennis Schroeder with this starting lineup looks like he will create more ball movement just because the dude never stands still. You watch mm-hmm. Steph Curry, one of the most impressive things about Steph, obviously the three-point shooting, take that off the table for a moment, is the fact that the guy never stands still. His yeah. off-ball movement and his off-ball work rate is off the charts. You get a little bit of that with Dennis Schroeder. Marcus Smart's not barely penetrating. He's playing in a Lonzo ball role, a perimeter creator without the size and passing ability of guys that run as perimeter creators. We even saw like um, Lamelo Ball is a perimeter creator, but he's six foot seven. He can see over the defense. His passing ability is amazing. If Smart's not driving and dishing, and he's not running bunches of pick and rolls because Yudoka's kind of removed the high pick and roll somewhat and likes more stagger screens and whatever. Where does Smart's offense come from as a catch and shoot guy? Well, in that case, he's redundant. Yeah, it, it, it's it's tough to peg right now, man. Like I'm honestly at like a little bit of a loss for for what the for what the answer is here. You know, I think Dennis Schroeder, his play, which in the uh, the lost podcast files of Celtics Blog Pod, I called him. I, I referenced him being a being like a day trader. You're up, you're down. End of the day, you're the goal is to be a little bit better than you were at the start. That's kind of Dennis Schroeder for me. Like, and and I think he's been a nice surprise. I think I've really enjoyed his play thus far early in the season. Because when it comes to actually, you know, some of the problems that we're talking about with focus, effort, I don't really think that's ever there with 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 Dennis Schroeder. There's times he may do stuff that you don't like. He takes a a gamble that you don't like, or he takes a shot that you are like, yeah, we probably could have got a better shot than than what just happened. But it's not for lack of of effort or or focus, you know. I don't know if you feel that way with, with Schroeder as well, but that's one thing that I've certainly got from him. And then when you look to him being him versus Marcus Smart, that that debate, we talked about, you know, the two of them on the court together. Not my favorite, especially when we're not gonna gonna put other floor spaces out there with them. Just not in you know an ideal fit. But I think the question of Dennis Schroeder being a true point guard versus Marcus Smart, who maybe he's not a true point guard. We need to stop referring to him that way. He's just a guard. He's a, he's kind of a combo guard that yes, can do some of those point guard responsibilities at times, but at the end of the day, Dennis Schroeder is, I I think might just be our best point guard, right? At which point he needs to play with the best players. You know what I mean? Like, and then if you're worried about Marcus Smart running points at all, then run a paint and Pritchard and Marcus Smart second unit. The spacing there is fantastic. You get the mm-hmm. defensive intensity off smart. You just you're running switching schemes anyway. So just whenever someone tries to attack Pritchard, do what you did when Isaiah Thomas was there. Scram him out of there and put Marcus Smart in. Hey, <laughs> now look what happens. You know what I mean? Like, so there are questions, and obviously Udoka is probably testing things out. And look, I'm never this negative on the team, and it'll be rare you ever hear me like this, but this game was just very much, I think it was the post game that made me negative more than the game itself. Because I was just like, yo, this is a risky strategy, five games in 30 games in. And it's, you know, you've had your argument, you've had your say in the locker room, you've had your say in training and they're still not responding. Yeah. Go to the media and be like, yo, these dudes need to listen. Like, if they're not going to listen to me now, I'm going to put them on blast. Fine. I understand. Five games in, dude. You're already putting guys on blast. And I know you're saying Udoka was asked about it, mm-hmm. but I could ask you your opinion about anybody right now, and you not you don't have to give it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could just be like, that's uh, that's going to be dealt with internally. That's for sure, for sure. No, 100%. That's why I'm saying like the, the fact that he chose to then go with, yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling the way Jalen has has focused or prepared for the game. I was like, oh, all right. Well, I guess we're putting this out there. 
Um, but yeah, man, it's, <laughs> I, I guess we're doing this. I guess we're doing it. But I, w- I would say this, let, let me ask you this, Adam, because I feel like, you know, we're, we, we've hit on the stuff. We're both frustrated. All of Celtics nation is, is to varying degrees frustrated with certain elements of this team. We're getting a little bit of PTSD from last year. We, we need to let last year go. We need to kind of, you know, Everyone scope out and wearing a robe right now. Exactly. We need, we need a little bit of self-care. So let's, let's do this before we wrap this podcast up, Adam, let's, Give me one thing positive from last night. Just one Al thing. And Robert Williams pairing up. Let's talk about them for a few minutes before we wrap up here, because I do think the two of them, I was trying to think about this earlier today. Obviously, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have had 40 point games. have had 30 point games and had these really outstanding games. They've had those, the best highs of the season. Al Horford and Rob Williams have been the most consistent players on this roster through the first five games, I think. Without a doubt, I mean, what is it? They're the only two guys with over five, over three blocks in a game, or combined for five yeah. blocks in a game. So combined far. for five, yeah, that's what it's it was. Uh, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, Al Horford is, well, yesterday at least, or Wednesday when everyone's listening to this, was clearly the best Celtics player on the floor. Him and Rob Williams, the passing ability they've got, the fact that they're looking for each other with these passes are great. The, the horn set that we spoke about during preseason is just as cash money as what we thought it was going to be. Uh, the defense is great. Both of them are switching onto the perimeter, acting as a three-point deterrent. Both of them are capable of staying in front of a guy if they try and beat him off the dribble. If not, they can bail themselves out with blocks. Both are capable of blocking jump shots. So, you know, putting yeah. them on the, on the perimeter doesn't just mean scaring guys. It means, yo, we can block you from here. And that's the crazy part about them having, you know, each averaging, I think, four and three blocks respectively, is that they're spending so much time on the perimeter. You would think that they're patrolling the paint more, but these guys are out on the perimeter a good amount of the time with our defensive scheme. So, you know, I'm super encouraged with the Al Horford and Robert Williams relationship. Um, one of the things I thought was was really great last night was I had the one negative trend I had started to notice with, uh, with Lob Williams at one point is that it felt like when he got the ball down low or off an offensive rebound. And I wasn't the only one to point this out on Twitter, but he was too quickly looking to, to pass out or to, to get it out to somebody rather than being assertive or aggressive, looking to score for himself. And it felt like after the first quarter last night, someone must have told him that because he certainly changed his mentality. It felt going forward in that game last night. And I hope that really carries over because that was really the only nitpick that I kind of have for Al Horford and Robert Williams this early in the season was that specific specificity of, of Robert not being, a little bit more aggressive and looking for his own. Uh, and you saw, even saw it last night at one point in the first quarter, he went up a little bit weak and, and a Gafford send it into the third row. It felt like. And so, you know, Robert Williams being more aggressive and scoring, I think that's going to open up some things for the, for the team as well. Cause he's been super active on the offensive boards, whether he's getting it himself or he's tipping it to keep it alive. And I love watching because not all of those translate uh, on, on the stat sheet, but they end up being a rebound for somebody else that he generated with that, with that tip. So it's like a um, hockey rebound. Yeah, hockey? exactly. Yeah. A hockey assist, the hockey rebound. I was, that's a good thing. I was, I've been trying to think about like, there's no way to really look this up right now. I don't even, because I think hockey assist, you can look up now in certain, in certain platforms. I don't know if a hockey rebound has, Adam, did we just create a statistic? We did. Let's go. That's that. That's look at that positivity it's right the there. We just to put into it though. Robert right? Williams leading the league in hockey rebounds. 
Here's one for you. I've just pulled up some lineup stats from cleaningtheglass.com. This is interesting. Um, Obviously, it's very minimal possessions, total of 71 possessions. So it's such a small sample size, especially when these statistics are per 100 possessions. So a lot of these are kind of like uh, (laughs) they're extrapolated out. But over 71 possessions with out at the four and Rob at the five, their defense is in the 100th percentile. They're only allowing 77.8 points per 100 possession. Their effective field goal allowed, they're limiting teams to 40.2% effective field goal. That's from the three and from the two. They're forcing 19.4% of turnovers. So for every 100 defensive plays, they like every 100 sets that they defend, 19 of them are ending up in a, turn, a forced turnover. In terms of point differential, the Celtics have ended the last 71 possessions with these two at the four and the five with a 20.8 point differential plus. So Celtics have scored nearly 20, well, 21 more points than their opposition when Al and Rob Williams have been at the four and the five. So it's super impactful on defense. Offensively, it's not great. They're in the bottom, <laughs> they're in the bottom six percentile for points per 100. They turn the ball over six, 17% of the time. Teams are rebounding on them at a massive rate, and they're not drawing free throws. So, you know, you're getting that defense. But look, the the lineups that this has happened with has been Smart, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams. Schroeder, Smart, Tatum, Horford, Williams. Schroeder, Smart, Brown, Horford, Williams. Outside of that Smart, Tatum, Brown, Horford, you know, like the main starting five. Starting bad, yeah. They're not really running with floor spaces. So the offense is going to struggle, you know? Again, that feels to me, no matter how diverse Horford is and how much of a vertical space of Rob Williams is, that still feels to me like a throwback lineup. It's anachronistic or anachronistic, mm-hmm. you know, from the olden times. Um, so again, there's floor spaces available to you. That Obviously, that too big lineup is having a huge defensive impact. Throw a floor spacer in there and let's see what it can do on the offensive end as well. Ime. Give us some shooting. I beg of you, my guy. I beg of you. He may listen. He may not. <laughs> oh, look at that. Look at that. Robed up Adam with the dad joke. Let's go. With the, with the Jedi robe as well. Not just any robe. I'm talking like I need a not lightsaber, bad. bro. I need a lightsaber. <laughs> right, guys. Like It's been a negative episode. This don't happen often. I'm not even going to ask you to leave a review because they're not going to be good. No one wants to be negative on a Friday morning. But here we are. I felt like we needed this. This was self-care in itself. It's therapeutic. I highly advise if you've listened all the way through to go and buy yourself a 40. (laughs) (laughs) Buy an OE. Go ahead. Actually, mix it up a little bit of OJ. Make yourself a brass monkey. Or just go get yourself some uh, some seltzer water. It's refreshing and it's good for you. (laughs) Very different recommendation, but refreshing nonetheless. Uh, You know, some people are into that good life. Some people are like, yo, it's Friday. So it just hey, depends which way people yo, are leaning. Here, here's the bottom line. Do you and do what makes you happy. It's the That's weekend. It. Enjoy it. You deserve it. If you do want to leave a nice review, thank you. If you don't, I understand. Negative reviews will be met with sadness. So please don't do that. We're sad enough. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.